everybody, and welcome back to another edition of To The Point Podcast. Everybody's doing well today. We are Tuesday, J- June, I'm going to say January. I'm glad it's not January. June 21st, the first day of summer, which I did not know until about 10 minutes ago. But I was thinking, oddly enough, last night I was watching games. It was late enough. And I'm looking outside. I'm like, wow, it's really it's pretty light outside. And then, of course... Today's the longest day of the year, so that means daylight longer. So I'm looking forward to that. I mean, go. It's such a, it's a day that you think about, and it's so bittersweet because it just goes down from here. It gets darker outside and darker, and then we get closer to the fall, where that is just brutal. But first day of summer, I hope that means the weather's going to improve because the weather's been, pardon my French, shit for the last little while. But hey, first day of summer, that might mean something to some people. Not doesn't mean much to me. It's kind of knowing these certain dates that that's a job in and of itself. Like somebody's like, well, I, I remember going on Google one day and it just says, well, happy donut day. I didn't know donuts had a day. I didn't know everybody is all these days that are, why is that a day? Why? Why is there a national socks day? Or National Hot Dog or Hamburger Day. What? Why? Who? Who thought of of all the problems we have in this world? We think enough that we can have a day for a hot dog. Maybe I shouldn't have started the show like this today, but I just that that's what comes into my brain. I I just think why why these days? Why is there a start of summer? Why doesn't it just go forever? Why is that? Just continuous. If we can have a national hot dog day, is there a way that we can change the ecosystem that just gets rid of winter forever? And I'm serious. Is that something that we can, the listeners, definitely not me, because I'll, I'll, won't help. I'll find a way to screw it up. I'll make winter go longer. Is there a way that we could have just summer throughout the whole world? Can we have Florida's climate here? Can we figure that out? Instead of, hey, guys, let's make sure on September blank, it's national throw a Frisbee day. Let's figure out. And there's much bigger things that we could change in the world. But that's something I would endorse. It's just a day that, hey, that actually does something or something worthwhile that would, would benefit me primarily. I think it would benefit other people. I hope. I don't want to be completely selfish, although I will be if I have to. But if, if we could benefit, if we could do that to help the world, but mostly Noah, and I think other people would jump on board, isn't that a better solution? Isn't that better than National Hot Dog Donut Day? I don't know. Just a thought. What a way to start the podcast. As you can see, this program is already uh, already in progress, uh, and we got a lot to get into today. It's Tuesday. Seamus will join me, as always, in a little bit. We'll talk about a number of different things. We'll get into his Celtics going down, get his kind of reaction. Another one of Seamus's teams bites the dust and uh, can't win a title, but they got very close. Looks promising for the Celtics. Going to get into the NHL last night and also what uh, the top athletes of 2022. And that's something I've been been thinking about. I messaged him the other day and we're going to 
we're about halfway through the, the calendar year. Who are the best athletes of the year thus far? Who's playing the best? That Those kind of narratives, those kind of questions, that is what we're going to try to answer today. I got a few names written down. I'm curious to see where Seamus goes with this, and, and we'll put it all together. But let's start with the Stanley Cup final, game three last night. And it's a good day because if you listen to me, I told you to make a bet last night. I'm not always right, and I've been telling you about my losing bets lately. Didn't win on the weekend in golf. Didn't win um, with the Rangers a while back. Although I did pick the Lightning, but I forget what game it was. Game, anyway, I had a loss down there too. But I said last night, Tampa is the pick. Tampa is the team you pick tonight. And I said Vasilevsky, that was on FanDuel. You can get Vasilevsky minus two and a half two, uh, goals against. So, if he can go under two and a half goals for the game, that's a winner with a Tampa win. That's exactly what happened last night. So it's a winner for me. Hopefully it's a winner for you if you're listening to me. And obviously that's not the biggest deal here. The series is now 2-1. We have a series again. And it was a it was an interesting game because if you just look at the box score, Tampa won the game 6-2, but you look at it and you say – well, why did Tampa win? Because they got outshot 39 to 22. They didn't have possession. Colorado had more power plays. So you're looking at the game saying, well, how, how could how could Tampa have won this game? But that's why you have to watch the game and you can look at the box score after to find stats, whatever you want, to to justify certain thoughts, opinions, what have you. But last night, Tampa just I thought from the drop of the puck brought a different energy that they didn't have in Colorado and playing at home, I think helped, but we saw in the last series, we saw Tampa against the Maple Leafs in that pivotal game four in that pivotal game six. They play their best when they have to this season, this Tampa team has kind of eased their way into series. They've allowed teams to get Two nothing series lead. They've allowed teams to to make the get other teams to believe that we have this series won, and then Tampa jumps up like a python at the very last second to snatch up your dinner. And they did it in the first three rounds. Uh, Florida, the only uh, the only opposing uh, team to do that, and, and the only opposing series. The other two, it was just the same script. And last night, I thought they brought it. And you could look at Colorado and say Colorado played their worst game of the series, which I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with. Colorado in the first two games, I think the best thing they did was control the neutral zone. They had constant puck pressure. They didn't allow Tampa to get through the neutral zone clean. You tried to make a pass. You tried to skate. They had somebody on you. It was like hot potato or, you know, a, me- a metal. It was like a magnet where somebody is always on your ass. You could not move. You couldn't make a play because you were constantly panicked. You had the puck. You didn't know what to do with it. Last night, Tampa had a much easier time getting through the neutral zone. They had a much much easier time getting past the defenseman. You saw it on the first goal of the game. Sorelli got the puck. He didn't face much opposition going to the net, and he finds a way to poke that past Darcy Kemper. 
it was a effort goal. It definitely was not skill. It was a goal. Darcy Kemper should stop a hundred out of a hundred times, but that's irrelevant. It's, it's the way that he got to that position that was different in the first two games. Another thing I said it yesterday, Darcy Kemper's a good goalie. He's not a great goalie. The guy at the other end, he's the great goalie. He's the superstar. He's the Mount Rushmore guy. What did Tampa do last night? They got Darcy Kemper moving. On the Stamkos Palat giving give and go goal, that was a play where Palat had it on the right hash. He moves all the way over. Stamkos has it where he goes to the left. Stamkos is on the right. And Darcy Kemper has to move all the way across his body. He can't make the save. We saw it later in the game. Nick Paul scores. They're, they're constantly moving. They're constantly shifting. And when you're asking a goalie who has been injured frequently, who is adequate to be extraordinary, it's not going to go that well for you. It's not going to result in great things. And they only had 22 shots, but they had 10 high-quality scoring chances. Tampa had eight high-quality scoring chances in the first two games. And high quality scoring chances are in close to the net, uh, you know, in the in the blue paint. A great scoring opportunity. Basically, everywhere other than when our Artemi Panarin hangs out, that's a high quality scoring chance. But it was just a different energy. It was a they approached the game different. And for Colorado, when it comes to their offense, they didn't bring much. That was high danger. We've seen Tampa get outshot. The Rangers outshot them in games three and games four. And, uh, sorry, games uh, four and games five, game three, Tampa outshot them in a wide margin with that great third period. But in particular, game four, New York outshot Tampa. But they were all from the outside. They were all perimeter. They weren't high-quality scoring chances. So those aren't difficult saves. Andre Vasilevsky finished the night with 37 stops. A great game for him, no doubt. But it wasn't particularly taxing because Colorado 5-on-5 was not generating what they did in the first two games. And a big shift in the game was the the coach's challenge, which I hate the coach's challenge. I follow some referees on Twitter who say that the coach's challenge, you just want to get it right. I get that, although I think you get it wrong a lot too. Tim Peel, but I look at the grand scheme. I want to get the call right, and I don't want to do another rant about this because I've done it so many times, but it continues to come up, and it bothers me to no end. Could you get it right in 90 seconds? Could you get it right in 60? So if you, if we have to do it, which I'm I'm never going to accept, but I'll accept it right now, could we do it in a shorter period of time? Because I flipped over. I'm not sitting there watching the coach's challenge. I When I came back to the screen, the goal had been called off. I'm not sitting there for the whole time. Wait, I've done that. I'm done with that. There's more, more sports on TV. There's other things I can watch. I flipped to the Memorial Cup. And not nearly, I was so tired from the night before, but that, nearly, that game nearly put me to sleep, which we'll touch on in a bit. But that... If that didn't happen, if there was something interesting on, I might have forgot about the game because I'm not sitting through that. I'm not sitting through John Cooper getting 20 minutes to review the play. It seemed like that. They're ready to drop the puck, and they're like, no, no, we saw a different angle. Come back. 
there has to be a stopwatch. There's a concussion spotter. If we're going to review every play, if it's going to be a, a face-off where you have to review who won it and this crap, can we have somebody to say, you know, your time's up. Coop, what do you want to do? Make a, it's a gut check decision. You don't get 80,000 looks. This isn't the fucking video room. Make a decision and live with it. These, co- these coaches are like indecisive people. I can't stand those type of people. Tell me what you want to do. Let's do it. I don't know what I want to eat. Okay. Then don't eat. I don't know if that's a goal. I don't know if it is. Well, guess what? Next play. Let's go. Shut up. When you, when you look after the game, you know what it is. That's how it has to be. If you're going to keep it, which I'm not in favor of, it has to be it quicker. It has to be. Because it got so much longer because Coop took two minutes to look at it. And I like Coop. I don't want to put him down. But every coach does this. But you take two minutes to look at it. And then it's 10 minutes when you're looking at the screen, 80,000 angles. And why do the ones that seem so easy take the longest time to figure out? It was clearly out of the zone. And it was up to me. Nikushkin should have got a goal for it. Because, yes, it was offside. I'm not saying that. But I wouldn't have reviewed it anyway. There was a fucking linesman from, I'm not that far from the screen here, me to you away, and he he didn't see it. Do we need robotic people? I'm not in favor of robotic umps in, in baseball. In hockey, we might. Just have, just have somebody out there. Have a little robot, and you blow, blows a whistle, and it's offside. Because of how many reviews these guys need, they're not that great at their job. But there's my frustration on that because I don't get it. But for Colorado, they get two power play goals last night. Gabriel Landeskog gets both. But five on five, they didn't bring the same energy. They didn't have that same bounce. Burakovsky was out of the lineup. He's banged up. But I look at the Avs, and there's a guy that game four, and we'll preview the game tomorrow. And actually, this is I'm going to the Memorial Cup on Thursday, as I told you guys. I'm gonna I plan to do a podcast Wednesday night after the game. I'm hoping I will, unless I get so tired that I can't do it. But I'm gonna watch the game, rush over here, and do a quick recap of the game because I want to do that because I won't be able to on Thursday because I got to drive to St. John and get ready for Shawinigan Hamilton. But that's tomorrow night, Thursday morning. There'll be a, po- a podcast tomorrow afternoon like there is today. I'm just saying we might do that Wednesday night. I plan to anyway. But five on five, Colorado didn't bring a whole lot. And there's a guy who hasn't had a great series. They're up 2-1, so it kind of goes under the radar. Nathan McKinnon doesn't have a goal yet in this series. He's been really quiet. He's played okay, but he needs game four is the is the game where he needs to come out because Nikushkin's played as good as he's going to play. Rantanen's played fantastic. Makar's playing well. Like guys that you aren't expecting have had good series. Alex Newhook, depth pieces have had very good series so far. You're the big cat. You're the main dog. It's on you to bring this home, to get some energy in this series, to get a victory. We haven't seen that from Nathan McKinnon yet. He didn't even have a great game last night. 
there's a lot of guys in Colorado who would have had like to have better games for sure. On the back end, I didn't think uh, Manson had his best game. Eric Johnson didn't have a great game last night. But you have game four to rebound. But fair warning to Colorado. Don't you let Tampa win tomorrow night. Colorado is a better team than New York. They're better than Toronto. However, in crunch time, in clutch time, there is no team better than the Tampa Bay Lightning. If anybody has an opposite opinion to that, I really don't understand it because one team's won the last two cups and every the other 20 or the other 31 haven't. They are the best team in the big moments. If this series is tied 2-2 going back to Colorado, the people in Colorado aren't going to be singing all the small things. I'll tell you that because it's going to be panic mode. So yours goes great before because you got a 2-0 lead, your touchdown on Tampa. If it goes back 2-2, there's going to be a few asses that are tight on that Colorado bench before game five. Because they know if we lose tonight, it's over. It's over in Tampa. So tomorrow is the most important game of the season for Colorado. It is. Game two is huge to win for, for Colorado. Huge. But you won two home games. Great. You're supposed to. You're supposed to win at home, right? You cover your home ice. You go from there. You lose tomorrow night and you go back home. You got all that pressure in game five because you got home ice. You need to protect ball arena. Tampa just finds the way to win that game. They normally do. I advise Colorado to win tomorrow night in a big way. We'll talk about this more tomorrow. But to Tampa Bay, what I find so impressive is Tampa wins last night and Braden Point can't even play. Braden Point was hobbling through game two. He didn't have enough to go last night. It's already reported today. It's highly doubtful that he plays in game four. So Riley Nash was reinserted into the lineup. And we saw a little bit of, of a mismatch of lines. Uh, Patrick Maroon took shifts with Stamkos. They moved some guys around. And I credit Coop for doing that because the first two games, they didn't generate a whole lot. And he did keep Sorelli with that shutdown line, which I didn't think he would, although that line did find a way to score a goal. Sorelli was only his second of the postseason. Kalorn has no goals. Hagel has two. But they have been doing a good down, good job shutting down that top line. So kudos to them. But you look at it. It's who turned it around in game three? When they had to win that game, it was Stamkos, Palat, and Kucherov who delivered. Last night, Stamkos has two points. Kucherov has two points. Palat has two points. That line is their clutch line. They show up in the big moments when you need them the most. You also get Nick Paul chip in with a goal. Like I said, Sorelli finds the back of the net. They had other guys score goals, but it's this line that's been there for them the entire playoff. And this line is going to be pivotal again because Sorelli's line is likely not going to score many goals in this series because they're going up against McKinnon. They can line match in game four. 
and their job is to stop the opposition's top unit from scoring. They know that going in. The third line with no Braden point, you got Nick Paul. Ross Colton hasn't scored in, in 11 games, so he's on a cold streak. So that line isn't firing on all cylinders either. So then we get to the fourth line where Perry jumps up, Maroon jumps up on shifts. But these guys, again, it's not a high-quality scoring line. So that line has all the pressure on them to deliver, to score goals. The back end, like I said yesterday, needs to help, and it did. Victor Hedman had two points last night. He had his best game of the series. But with no Braden point, Tampa needs to be perfect. They need This line needs to play A-plus the rest of the series in order to win. That's a lot of pressure, but I think they can handle it because they've done it all all playoffs long where they've been asked to do everything. This point didn't have a great start to the postseason. Then he gets hurt when he's just starting to play better. And he, since coming back, he clearly is not hundred percent, hundred percent healthy because he can't go. And at the end of the game, you know, Kucherov was in skirmishes. He took a big hit. Perry w- was involved physically. And Cooper said today, both guys are likely going to play tomorrow in game four. I don't think that was ever a worry. In particular with these two guys who Corey Perry is just, he's the worm. He's a, he's a veteran. He's a pain in the ass. He's been to the last three Stanley Cups. He's lost the first two. He's looking to finally win one, to break that curse for himself after being in Dallas, being in Montreal, and now being a, a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And for Kucherov, he's one of their best players, but he's also just a tough son of a bitch. He likes playing hockey. I imagine he played last night. He's a little battered and bruised, but he goes back to his home or to the hotel and has a few beer and he, and he just walks it off. That's how I think he approaches it this time of year. But it was an entertaining game last night. It was a good battle and depth could prevail because Colorado does have more depth that you trust to score goals for sure. Where you look at Comfer, New Hook, you know, guys like this can step up. Nikushkin's not a top player, although he's playing on the top line, and you could argue that he is. But these depth pieces have already stepped up. Now for Tampa, you look and say, well, Nick Paul scored a goal last night. Does he score a goal the rest of the series? Uh, you know, Patrick Maroon and Corey Perry both score goals last night. Can these guys continue to find a way to have an impact on the series? That's where I look at this. Sorelli, can he bring something to the table offensively? Although he's playing against McKinnon. So it's a tough, it's a tough ask for this guy to to really produce a whole lot. But I'm impressed with Tampa's resolve. I'm impressed with Tampa's fight last night. If there's no challenge, maybe it's a different game. Because Colorado would have had a power play following the challenge. They did score in their first power play of the game. So maybe it's two nothing out of the gate, Colorado on the road, and it's completely different. Because with that lead, Colorado would have played differently. But Sorelli tied it up on, on a goal that they'd want back, uh, Darcy Kemper. And then not too longer, not too long lately, Palat scores, and Tampa has the lead going into the intermission. So Kemper gets pulled last night. He needs to be better. He needs to make saves. Again, he he's getting moved around. He's not a great goalie, and they do need to defend better in front of him, which they're very capable of doing in Colorado. But you're an unrestricted free agent. You have a great series. 
you can turn this into a massive payday for yourself where you don't have to worry you're a starting goaltender and you might be average to below average the rest of your life, but you have a contract that validates you, that you're set up. If he doesn't have a good cup final and he's been injured throughout, because I wouldn't call this a statement playoff for Darcy Kemper so far, because Frank Coos played the last three games against Edmonton. He got hurt against Nashville. He didn't close out that series. He's only played in one closeout game in this in the Stanley Cup playoff so far, and that was game six against the Blues. The other two series, Pavel Franco's had to win the deciding game. So basically what he's proved so far in the, in the postseason is that he's an average goaltender, which I think we all thought before, and that he's not durable, which we all thought before. And what bodes well for him is that's basically what the goalie market is now, where there is no guy that you trust to play X number of games because guys are always hurt or they want to be in tandem situations for a, a myriad of reasons. But if he can have a good end to this playoff, he plays extremely well in game four, you know, game five, six, whatever, and Colorado wins a cup, he has a different narrative about him. He has a different perception where he's a champion. And he's a goalie that won a Stanley Cup. And there'll be teams that look past that he was on Colorado, a great team. I'll give you case in point example. Antti Niemi won the Cup in 2010 with the Chicago Blackhawks. Antti Niemi was not a great goalie. He was average, but he was on a great team that won a Stanley Cup. And he also looked a whole lot better because in the Stanley Cup final, Antti Niemi was going toe-to-toe with Michael Layton who to begin the playoffs was a black ace for the Philadelphia Flyers. But he wins a Stanley Cup. He's a champion, and he walks into unrestricted free agency with Corey Crawford pushing up up the ranks uh, for the Blackhawks. San Jose scoops him up. They sign him to, I think it was a six-year or seven-year deal at the time for big money. A couple years later, they ended up buying him out. Sometimes it's just where you are at the time. You have a hot run. Cam Ward was great in 06. He was never as good as in 06 again. He was he never got back to that level. Cam Ward was a good goaltender, had had a solid career, but he was never what he was in 06. In 09, he had a good he had a good season. He had a good run. But this can happen for goalies. Matt Murray was a good goaltender. And you're in the right place at the right time. You win a couple cups in Matt Murray. He didn't play all that many games in the playoffs either, but he was there at the end. And you make a couple saves, you get another ring, you got to shine about you. People are saying, well, this guy's the number one goalie. This guy, this guy's the, the wave to the future. Now the Ottawa Senators would kill a couple nuns to, to get rid of Matt Murray's contract. So that's what Darcy Kemper has in front of him. If I'm if I want to motivate this guy, I just point to these contracts and say, hey. He had a tough one last night, but bounce back. Look at the, look at Matt Murray's deal. Look at Antini Emmy. Look at these guys. And hey, maybe you'll have a great career. Doubt it. But look at these guys that won a cup and what happened to them. It changed their life. And they weren't good the rest of their career. Not even close. But guess what? They got that money. It's guaranteed. It's in their bank account still. And that might be a minute that might be a negative way to look at things here, but I think it's the realistic way. Because I don't see him being Vasilevsky. I don't see him beat Martin Brodeur, but could he be a guy that is average? Maybe that. Maybe that's the, the best case. You know, he's an average goaltender the rest of his career. 
Well, Matt Murray and Antin Yemi were worse than average. I could see Darcy Kemper being one of those two guys where he gets a big ticket somewhere from a desperate organization. I could think of one. And it doesn't go that well. Doesn't go that well for him. And it in a couple of years, he's bought out or he's tra- his contract's traded and something happens. But motivation is a powerful drug. And if you're driven by money, if you're driven by wealth, if you're driven by whatever it is, hopefully it is money because you can look at these two guys and say, look at your colleagues did. Look at these two guys had, had a run and look what it turned into for them. And that might motivate anti, uh, what the hell is his name? Might motivate Darcy Kemper to go be anti Niemi, to finish this and then look up at the other teams, the scouts in the building, people there watching the cup final and saying, hey, look what I just did. Do you see what I accomplished this year? I want a Stanley Cup. Do you want to win one? Because I'm a Stanley Cup winning goaltender. I can definitively say that. Matt Murray flexed to the to the Ottawa Senators, and they said, you know what? We're going to give you an extra year, and we're going to give you an extra million bucks because we can't let anybody have you. And now he's still making that money, but he's playing in the American Hockey League. So Ottawa sells out for him. They throw assets. They, they sign him for big money. And I wonder if they regret it now. I wonder if they regret it now. I would think, yes, maybe I'm wrong, but I do think. But that is a way to look at what the situation for Darcy Kemper moving forward. Game four goes tomorrow. I expect a good game. I expect a desperate Colorado Avalanche team. But we'll start to talk about that game tomorrow as we get closer. Um, Stars announced Peter DeBoer as their head coach today. I've been talking about that for a little while, but it's finally official. Four-year deal north of $4 million a year. Uh, Jay Woodcroft, I've mentioned this. He officially got introduced today as the new as the He's no longer the interim coach. He is the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. So they got their bench boss. Every other opening is still there. There's nothing nothing, nothing new to report. As we get that news, I will let you know. But there's nothing on the coaching front. No real rumors on players as of yet. So I think the league wants to get through the Stanley Cup final where that's the focus. And then players can start to move. You'll start to hear more about Johnny Gaudreau. You'll start to hear more about guys kicking tires, moving around, and what do teams want to do in the offseason? What's the outlook of the team? I think you'll start to hear Jacob Chikrin chatter. So expect to hear that over the next little while because free agency starts on July 13th. The Stanley Cup final will either end. It could end as soon as Friday in Game 5. It could end Sunday, that's Game 6, or Tuesday, which would uh, almost be next week, but... July's next week. We got after a couple weeks, about three weeks until free agency opens in the in the NHL. So that's when player movement is allowed. You're allowed to start talking to players. I think there's a talking period a week before, but I'm interested to see what what will happen if Johnny Goodrow does not resign in Calgary. Do we see Calgary trade his rights over the next couple of weeks, where they won't get a whole lot back? 
but they could also orchestrate a sign and trade, which a team wouldn't love to do because unless they're kind of cap strapped, but could there, you know, does, does Calgary trade Goudreau's rights to a team in order to at least get an asset back to get a late round pick? That's something teams do. I'm, I'm curious to see if any teams decide to try to go that route prior to free agency. We're going uh, to talk baseball here in a, in a minute, but before we get there, some news today that I didn't expect to come across the, the wire this, this afternoon, but for the second time in his career, Rob Gronkowski, the great tight end, some would argue the greatest tight end to ever play football, announced his retirement. He's 33. He's a four-time Super Bowl champion, multiple-time All-Pro, and he he's done. He came back to play with Brady, did that for two years, won a, a, a Super Bowl with him two years ago. But he says he's heading back to retirement home. His body, he's been through a lot physically. He's always been injured throughout his career. He's had four back procedures. Said he could still play, but he doesn't want to go through the battering again, does not want to go through that physical toll and, and the mental as well. But uh, I think – I think the Bucs were holding out hope that he'd be back because they just had mini camp. They just had mandatory OTAs. He was not there, of course. You're all thinking, well, he's going to wait to sign as long as he can so he doesn't have to do all this all this crap. But he's done. So that that's an um, interesting spot for the Bucs, although they do, they do have Cameron Brait still on the roster, who's a very suitable tight end. He's better right now than Gronk is. So it's not, it's not a demotion for sure, but it's just a – it's a security blanket for Brady to have Rob Gronkowski on a third down. You know you can go to Gronk. You know he's going to catch the ball, things of that nature. But you saw Tom Brady start to get rapport with Cameron Brate last year. It helped because Gronk was injured for half of the season. O.J. Howard was injured in week two coming off a torn ACL. So he had lots of time to just – he had to work with Cameron Brate because that's all that was on the field for tight ends. And – that's a great career. He's going to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame one day, no doubt about it. And, you know, the second time he's retiring, I hope it's the last time that I have to talk about it when it comes to retirement. A very simple rule with athletes. When you retire, retire. If you want to keep playing, no problem with me. But don't come out of retirement 80 times. Don't, do, don't be Brett Favre. When you pick, just pick a lane. That's all I ask. You're either a player or you're retired. You're either a media member, not like you're you're one or the other. Richard Sherman, he's in this position now where he got signed on by Amazon to work for Amazon and do Thursday night football. But he still says he's holding out hope he finds a team to play with. Pick one. Because guess what? You're not going to be that great of an analyst. You're not going to be that great on TV if you're worried about your next NFL opportunity. Embrace what you're doing now. The best guys at this at their profession that do it, you know, that's what they do. To me, when Ray Ferraro retired, he wasn't worried about. He wasn't thinking, okay, when am I going to come out of retirement? Am I done playing? Am I going to continue to play hockey? No, he he looked at the job at ESPN at TSN. He mastered the craft, and now he's one of the best, uh, you know, color analysts in all of sports. Charles Barkley, his personality, the way he does it. He wasn't, he wasn't playing basketball again. He got approached to do TV. He kills it. And it's because he doesn't worry about it. He's got a, I don't give a shit personality, 
but also it's a, I'm done playing basketball. I'm a member of the media. And if guys suck, I'll call them on it. Period. You can go through the list of guys. Greg Olson is great. He retired. Once he embraced it, he goes, I'm, I'm going to be great on TV. I'm going to be great at calling games. Tony Romo. You'd say he's a little too focused on golf. I don't think he's the, I think he's gotten worse in the booth as it's gone on. He can't he used to predict plays to be better, but again, he's not, he wasn't the quarterback of the Cowboys anymore. That wasn't a possibility. Jerry Jones would have loved to brought him back, but Dak was there. It wasn't going to happen. So he embraced his position. He embraced what he was going to do. And you know, that, that's what needs to happen. You you need to pick your profession. You can't be a professional athlete and be a member of the media, a color analyst, whatever the job is at the same time. And pivoting into that, today, Sir Nick Faldo, the former great golfer, multiple-time major major winner, and who's been on CBS, I read today in a statement for 33 years, and I couldn't believe it, has announced that he's going to be retiring from doing full-time work at CBS. He... Nick Faldo is he's an acquired taste. I, I I have my love and hate for him when it comes to you know shots and just kind of reaction to things. But he is a legend of the sport. Like I said, he's been at CBS for 33 years, been sitting in the booth with Jim Nance. The two of them are synonymous together. And later in the year, it'll be his last event. He's gonna be 65 in July. So he said that's a big part of it. And I can't blame him, but it's a big shoe to fill because he worked for the Golf Channel. He worked for CBS. Occasionally, he did NBC work for majors. He was a busy guy. You know, he talked about being on the road a lot, staying in hotels. And it's true. Every week, there's another stop on the PGA Tour. It's constantly happening. There's there's always a tournament. There's always something happening. And Nick Faldo was going to these events. He would work from Thursday to Sunday. Jim Nance only worked when it came on CBS. So Jim Nance would work Saturday starting at 3 to 4 o'clock in the afternoon until till 7, where Nick Faldo would come on 10, 11 in the morning and work the golf, the golf channel shift and then do CBS for three hours as well. So And he just had a long grind. It is a grind. There's, there's a lot, lot of work to do. And, you know, kudos to him. He's had, a, he's had a great career. He is a legend. He's been knighted, which not many people can say. We talked about two guys today, Charles Barkley and him. They both guys are. But you know, the PJ Tour will miss him because he's he's a great voice in the game. And I, I'm sure with Nick Faldo retiring, CBS would have loved to have scooped up Phil Mickelson to do this. Maybe they have a stopgap guy for a couple seasons. They they throw a guy with Jim, you know, Colton Nost or, or somebody like that, where he's in there for a couple years. And then when Phil wants to play the majors or he's getting tired of it, he's 51 now, say two years down the line, he goes, I might play some champions tour events every once in a while, but I got a good payday from, from CBS because they wanted Phil in the booth. They were dying to get Phil Mickelson in the booth because of his personality, because of just the way he approaches it. Happy go lucky Phil. But now with everything with the live tour going against the PGA, that's never going to happen. So I think the succession plan was very much you know, cut completely because they don't have a guy that just pops to mind for me that you're dying to hear, that you're dying to 
to see because NBC, who does do the golf channel and they they do the they got two majors of the year. They got the US Open and they got the British. They got a, a good core, they got some good core guys. Brand, uh, you look at they got Nota Begay Jr. the third. They got uh, Steve Sands, who I really like, uh, who was there, Paul Azinger, uh, Dan Hicks. They got they got a, they got some good broadcasters. They're not they're not going to go to CBS right away. Uh, CBS has Amanda Balionsis who does interviews, but it's a big it's a big shoe to fill for sure. No pun intended on the fill, but I'm curious to see where they go from here when it comes to replacing Nick Faldo. Who's on? Who's in that booth with Jim Nance? Because for a long time uh, it was Phil Sims with the NFL, and then Phil Sims got booted for Tony Romo. Well, now Nick Faldo's leaving under his own volition. Do they have a guy that they look at and say, he's he's just a winner? We'd love to have him. John Daly would be fun. He'd never do it. I don't know if he'd be any good at the broadcasting, but it'd be fun just to hear John Daly talk about stories and, and what he got up to in his playing career and what he thought of some of these guys. I doubt that'll happen, but that's that's a guy that comes to mind. A guy in that vein, for sure, would be is I think exactly what you're looking for. But kudos to Nick Faldo on on a great career, and I think he's going to be doing a spattering of events. But he may be like Vern Lundquist, where Vern will show up to do the Masters, and I'm wondering if Nick Faldo would do the same thing with golf, where he just shows up and he'll he'll do the big events, and the rest of the year he's kind of on on standby or uh, in just a part time capacity. But that was a loss for the PGA and for the world of golf today. And the PGA Tour lost another two high-profile names to the Live Golf Tour. And those two names are Abraham Anser, who is currently the 20th-ranked golfer in the world, and the bigger name, the the three-time major champion, Brooks Kepka. Kepka leaving for this tour is no surprise. His brother was already on the Live Tour. Brooks has complained in the past about the PGA Tour, how he doesn't care about smaller events. I don't think Brooks Kepka loves golf. I think Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson, two guys that have defected to the Live Tour, ha- have that in common. I don't think either guy loves the sport, but they're both very good at it. I think both guys, if they could have been good enough to play football, play basketball, another sport at a high level, they would have chosen that sport. They wouldn't have played golf, but they're really good at it. They're, they've both won majors. And now they, they look at it and say, we only got to play eight to 10 times a year. We don't, there's so many events in the, on the PGA. We, we don't got to play as much. We don't got to travel as much. Sounds like a lot better life, a happier life. So Kepka leasing, leaving is a big loss, but I think the PGA Tour was ready for this. Abraham answer. To me, Abraham Anser and Taylor Gooch are they're not big names leaving. I mean, Anser is the 20th ranked player in the world. He is a very good, he's a very good player. But Gooch and Anser leaving are interesting to me because they're both younger guys. They're both guys that have won PGA tour events. Gooch won one this past year and he's played in the live. So if this live tour doesn't work out, where do they go from here? Is there a fear for them that they can't get back on the PGA tour if this blows up? And that's where I look at them and say, I question it a little bit. I I don't blame them for wanting more money. I I just, 
you also got to look at the situation and say, yes, it's a lot of money, but how long is this tour going to be alive? How sustainable is this business model? You have to do all that kind of pre-scout before you jump into bed with, with this with this rival organization. But with Answer, with Kepka leaving, with DJ, all these guys defecting, what it does do is put the pressure on the PGA Tour to be better, to adapt. I mentioned this today to, to my parents. And even my father made this point to me, that he doesn't think any pro sport business organization, however you want to frame it, has ever had any competition, has ever, ever had any real competition, any kind of fire put under their ass. And I, I agree with him for the most part. And what I look at now is, well, what does the, the PGA Tour do to rectify this? What does the PGA Tour do to say, how are we going to address this? Because the live are getting guys because they clearly the players think it's a much it's a better life to be on the live tour than it is to play on the PGA tour. So with that being said, can you get some guaranteed dollars? Can you get stipends to start? Can, can you got to give a parents fees? Whatever it might be, but you have to adapt your business model. The NFL, the NFL's players were getting fed up with how they were getting paid. What do they do? You're starting to see now in the NFL every year, there's more and more guaranteed contracts. Those were so foreign. They were never going to be handed out. It was a non-starter. Now they're everywhere. Defensive players are getting guaranteed contracts, getting guaranteed money out the wazoo. Why can't golf set this up? There's a reason you have all those sponsors. It's because you want them to pay you money. You want to pay your players to do this. If they're in bed with the PGA, RBC, all these you know, waste management, all these companies that are with your tour, well, you might have to say, hey, guys, we're going to have to start the uh, name, image, and likeness like there is in NCAA. We're going to need to start paying some of these golfers before they even take a swing because otherwise they're going to be playing for the Saudi tour and Greg Norman. Because if you can show up to an event and already have four to five million dollars in your jeans, no matter how you play, that sounds like a lot better experience for the player than showing up to an event where if you know you don't make the cut, you lose your tour card. There are guys that are in this position weekly. And when you have money stuffed in your shorts, that can make it not as competitive. Potentially. But my pushback on that is when hockey, all these guys have guaranteed contracts and you're going to make your salary regardless. You hardly make any money in the playoffs. And yet these teams are playing their heart out. They're battling for every inch. Tampa and Colorado are beat to hell, but they're still playing. They're still finding a way to, to battle through games. So they already have a whole lot of money in their jeans. They play 82 games knowing that they're rich. Knowing that if they don't have a good game, they're still going to make that money. But yet the product's still pretty good. And yet people still seem interested. And the Stanley Cup playoff ratings are up 162% from last year. Read that last night from the mothership. We know what their salaries are. And yet it's still pretty competitive and there still seems to be a big desire to win. 
So if the argument is, well, there, it won't be as compelling a product if they already have money before they start, simply not true because every other sport has that. You know what you're making before the game. NFL, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball. My idol, Dan Patrick, made this last week where he goes, it's funner when you're putting for four million bucks. I hear you, Dan. But your favorite player, Steph Curry, is shooting threes. He's got he's guaranteed to make over $40 million this year. So does that mean he has no pressure to make the shot? Or are you playing for the for the trophy, for the accolade? Because that always was first to me. Because the playoff money, the playoff share revenue that Golden State won, that Boston got, that Colorado, that uh, Tampa's going to get, is not a whole lot of money. Especially for guys that make $40 millions a year. It's basically, it's what you wipe your ass with, that type of money. And yet, these guys are still playing their heart out. It's still pretty compelling. So if the PGA Tour adopts this model, which they should, people are still going to watch. People are still going to be interested. Because it's less about how much money they have before. It's about how much they care in spite of making that money. And they look at that trophy and say, wow, I want that. There's no stacks and stacks of bills inside the, the Stanley Cup. But yet, players are still competing their asses off for it. And, they'll, and they judge their whole career based on if they get one or not. Not based on how much money they make. What do you hear at the end of your career? Joe, you think of Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe, Jerome, Jerome McGinley. It wasn't, well, how much money could they have made? It was, wow, they had a great career. They're some of the best players to never win a Stanley Cup. That's the narrative. In golf, you're playing for the major. You're playing for status. You're playing for legacy. And if you have a few million bucks, if you have a couple hundred thousand based on how good you are as a player before the tournament, I still think you're going to want it just as much. Because you're competitive, you're playing the sport, and you think you're better than everybody else. That's my approach with golf. They won't be able to pay as much as the Live Golf Tour. They won't because they're not backed by Saudi Arabian government. They're backed by corporations in, in North America that do make a lot of money. But nothing like that. It's reported that a Saudi Arabia makes $1 million a day. They don't give a shit about spending that money on a golfer. But can you can you pay can you get some sponsors to pay some money to keep people here? I think you can. Because the PGA Tour has has prestige. That is what's important. That is what is the big deal here. Seamus should be on here anytime, and we'll talk about a bunch of different things. But I want to get to baseball for, for a quick second before he jumps on. If he jumps on, then we'll, we'll cut her short in the baseball chat because we got all summer to talk baseball. But there are a few interesting little stories here in the baseball world. 
To me, the two hottest teams in baseball currently are the Atlanta Braves, the defending champions, and the New York Yankees. Braves have been red hot. They get another win last night as they walk off the uh, San Francisco Giants late in the late uh, bottom of the ninth inning. They've won 17 of the last 20. They did lose two to the Cubs this past weekend, but they bounced back. The Braves early in the season were not getting pitching. They were not getting good starting pitching. Yet you look, and they're, Kyle Wright's been pitching extremely well. Max Fried is pitching himself back into the Cy Young conversation. Ian Anderson is starting to find his game. The starting pitching for the Braves has been fantastic. Dansby Swanson's getting getting hits. Travis Darno has been catching and getting big hits. The Braves are in good shape. I still think for the Braves, Kenley Jansen picked up the victory last night. He pitched the ninth inning. He's 4-0 in the season, but he's he got over a three-year array. He gets worse as the season goes along. I would want some bullpen help later in the season because I do not trust Kenley Jansen late in the year because he's gonna he'll have he'll have an injury he'll have something where he won't be available to you in a big game. That's something I'd look into if I am the Atlanta Braves. That's where I, I look at them. The Yankees are extraordinary. The Yankees have seventeen losses, and we are June twenty first, first day of summer. I didn't think they'd be this good. I'll be the first to admit that I was wrong about the Yankees. I didn't think they'd make the playoffs. But they're playing unbelievable. Aaron Judge is the, and I, I hate MVP chat this early, but he's the front runner right now for sure for, for MVP. Their rotation, it's hard to argue it's not the best in baseball. Even better than the Dodgers with Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez, who's been the, just the biggest find in baseball. Luis Severino, Jamison Tylon, and Jordan Montgomery. And the crazy thing is, Garrett Cole has the highest ERA of any of their starting pitchers. And he is their ace. Josh Donaldson's playing great at third base. In his older years, he's playing extremely good at the corner. This team is loaded. And what is even more impressive to me is, yeah, you can beat bad teams. You can, you can run into a stretch where you get the Orioles and, and, you, and you pummel them. But in the last week, last week they played the Rays three times and they played the Blue Jays three times. They won five of those six games and they should have won six of six, but they blew it Sunday against the Blue Jays. And then they play the Rays again last night, and they beat them. They beat the Rays four straight times. The Rays, a team that should have been a lock for the postseason, but the Rays and the Blue Jays have been average to below average over the last little while. And these teams are now, the, the Boston Red Sox have caught these two teams. The Red Sox have, have caught fire. They had it. One thing that is not being talked about that I, I you see, oh, the hot Red Sox, they've had a pretty easy stretch. They've gotten the Tigers a lot in there. They played the Athletics. They went out and played the Angels. So they've had an easier stretch lately, but they're winning a lot of games. They're taking advantage of that. They're getting Ws. Kudos to them. The the Blue Jay, uh, the Red Sox had three guys, and this is so rare in today's in you know in modern baseball here. They have three guys batting over 340. Rafael Devers, J.D. Martinez, and Xander Bogarts are all batting above 340 on the season. 
Devers is my, one of my favorite players in the league. I think he's like such a great hitter. He's got all kinds of power, and he's really improved at third. But with the Rays and Blue Jays scuffling, you got in Toronto, Jose Brios, who was labeled their ace to start the year. Again, these labels. He's a gas can. He's almost got a six ERA. Gives up six earned runs, uh, five earned runs last night to the White Sox on the south side. Just beat them 8-7, but Barrios was in there too long. And the biggest problem right now for Charlie Montoyo, for the Blue Jays, is nobody on their staff can give them length other than Alec Manoa. Because for the first time, he didn't give them length on Saturday start. It was his worst start of the year. But other than Manoa right now, he can't get a pitcher to go five innings. You see Kikuchi is just a flat-out problem. The guy pitches... Three and two-thirds. He gives up four four earned runs, three walks. The guy can't find the strike zone, and he gets beat up like a gas can. Barrios last night looked like, you know, my, my partner today coming on pitching, basically. Just getting hit all over the park. And in the Rays, they can't get a win either. They can't beat the... Nobody can beat the Yankees. And... I don't like the Yankees winning. Okay, great. I like to see teams that nobody cares about win because that's I like to root for the underdog. I like the, my uh, my Guardians, they're winning. What a stupid name that is, the Guardians. I can't even root for them because the name's so bad. But I see my my good friend and Tuesday co-host is on the line, so let's bring him in. Wearing a wearing a very nice sweater, I might add that I uh, we uh, purchased. We purchased when I was present, so I'll take credit for the purchase. But Jay, uh, good to see you. How are things on this beautiful first day of summer? Ah, things are good. Is it is today the first day of summer? I learned that about ten minutes ago. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't. I didn't actually know that. Wow. That's. I think uh, yeah. June twenty first. Yeah, June twenty first. Yeah. Well, it finally started to feel like summer. It's still a little chilly in this June. Um, but no, things are things are things are well. Uh, excited to be back on here and uh, talk a little bit with you. I love uh, love how you're rep, repping the hat right now. Yeah, I didn't know it was, it was a the hair was a little everywhere today, so I decided to go with the hat <laughs> just prior to the show, just okay. to just to keep it contained because I never know. It's like it's got a mind of its own. But I gotta ask you because I I didn't really text you about this after it happened because I wanted to give you some time to breathe and marinate. Appreciate but, that. Uh, how how are you feeling after your Celtics? I get lost, but also you know that that effort that they gave. In they took it. They basically took a dump on the middle of the floor and said, "This is what we're going to put out tonight." And right. here you go. Um, no, appreciate your your distance. Um, you know, some people were not as as nice as you were, so. That's that's nice to see, but uh, no, I'm 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 okay. It's it's getting better and better. It feels like a big letdown, but you know, um, yeah. As a fan, you're just disappointed. You wish the effort was there. Mm -hmm. The last three games, I thought, you know, if we could have could have did things differently, or you know, even if guys could have got their heads out of their asses, I really think it could have been a much different series. I've been asking people, well, I guess Celtics fans, this, and I'm going to ask you this, and I want you to be as honest as possible. Okay. If the Boston Celtics were healthy, do you think they would have won, or do you think it was Golden State's to win the entire time? Uh, interesting. I think they would have won Game Five for sure okay. because Curry 
couldn't hit a shot. So that that's a game. But I mean, Smart's not a great shooter, so I he's not a great offensive player. So I what clearly, the, biggest inju- the biggest injury for me that I it's an injury that I'm still I'm curious about is Tatum because. Yes, he grabbed the shoulder a lot, and he usually would do it in the first five seconds of a game, but he's also a guy that complains ad nauseum. For everything. <laughs> yes. So I'm, I'm curious to see how injured he was because I'm not sure if it was an injury-related or just being tentative because that was his personality. That, that's, But Robert being hurt hurt them, I think, the most. I would say that because yeah. I, think he, I think he gave everything he had. I thought he played – he was one of their better players in game six because there wasn't many, but he blocked four shots. He, he he was there, but I think if he was healthy throughout the series, that would have made a key difference because when they won the rebounding battle and they didn't turn when, and um, they got points in the paint, they won. And when they weren't doing that, they didn't. And he obviously plays a big part of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. He had, he was 10, seven and five, 10 points, seven rebounds, five blocks. So he, obviously he was their yeah. best player in their last game. Um, I, I guess, Horford also had a really good game six. Yeah, yeah Horford I mean, was lights out in that third those, quarter. Those were two two guys who were sitting on an island by themselves. Like, the, there's no bench. And I think when we look back at the series, that's going to be the mm-hmm. biggest thing. Golden State had two, maybe three guys who were effective on the bench, Peyton, Poole, and Looney. Yep. Uh, Looney started to play on the bench towards the end of the series. And all those guys played really well and did their jobs off the bench, which is exactly what you needed. Grant Williams, uh, Peyton Pritchard, and Derek White were – you know, they were Halloween town because they were just ghosts and that you, you gotta, you gotta step up and you gotta have a bench. You can't rely on, you know, your injured Robert Williams to go in there and put 20 points up. He's not going to do that. That's not right. his job. And no. smart is too flaky. He's 20 points, one game and five points the next game. You can't rely on him either. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I, I con- con- contemplated this a lot, cause, but at, at the end of the day, I think even if they were healthy, I think, they drop the ball, and I think Golden State. I think it out. goes seven, and then you never know. Maybe because the game five. I mean, you got to think you you got to win that game. Your best yeah. player is just out and down, and you still can't muster together to to even grind out like a closer game. Like I think it was a ten point loss. Mm-hmm. Like that's I don't know. That's pathetic in my opinion. Like I think this. Uh, the, the, the sloppy ball control that happened over and over again, especially yeah. those last two games, like that'll be the narrative of what they should do in their off season, which I think we'll get to in a second. But yeah, like that's, it was just frustrating as a fan. Cause you go up and you'd see Jalen Brown cut in, lose the ball or throw it away. And you're like, well, you know, you where's your, where's your game plan? Like this can't be what you drew up when you were in the huddle. Right. Yeah. 23 turnovers in game like six. Was just insane i remember i it was i couldn't like you said brown should never drive drive and kick that's not that's not his game he's just 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 shoot but don't just don't, don't shoot um but yeah this offseason i mean they're very so close to winning and you know you can obviously look at it either way golden state would be looked at uh and you know their gm would be say well why didn't you trade wiseman or why didn't you trade kaminga for help right now they ultimately win so that's not the narrative. They look like geniuses. That's just how sports work. But what should the Celtics do? This is, is it drastic? Is something big? Is, is it a bench guy? Is there, are there guys that you look at that you think they should be, be targeting? 
I, I don't have anyone in particular uh, that mm-hmm. I'd say, but uh, you made a great point on the, I think it was the last podcast about finding a ball handler and someone who is just going to consistently bring the ball up. You know, he's not going to make us, you know, he will make the odd one or two turnovers a game, but that's, you know, that's fine. Like not dishing it out and losing it like smart and Tatum and rounded for much of the end of right. that series. So I, yeah, I think that's, if you're, you know, Brad Stevens, that's what you look at mainly and think this is what we need to improve on. Because yeah, your center's think, found. I mean, yeah. Robert Williams is your he's going to be your future center for hopefully the next eight years. And right. that's what Boston fans want to see. You're going to lose Al Horford. I, I think Al Horford's either – he may retire this end of the end of this year. I can't imagine he'd look at this run and think, oh, I can do this again because he must have just been drained from that entire yeah. season. So, yeah, I think a guard that is going to be able to be, you know, effective and carrying it up the floor is the biggest thing for me. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I wonder if even if they look at a guy like Ricky Rubio, who might be cheap because he's coming off an injury, and he might play off the bench, but he could be your point guard in the fourth quarter, where right. maybe maybe Smart is on the floor, maybe he isn't. Either way, I don't, I don't think you're killing yourself not having him there. But Rubio is still – he's a pure point guard. He'll shoot – the. that's his last resort is to shoot. But he, he's improved his shooting, but he's also – I think he's a great floor general and he's a, a great passer. Yeah, his, his injuries scare me, but that's yeah. – I mean, that could, if you were to give him cheap, it's not definitely a risk by any means because he's he, – right, he's off that injury and he's, he's a little bit dated, but by no means is he – uh, out of gas i would say mm-hmm. um i'd love for them to see bring rondo back that would be amazing just as a maybe maybe it's just like a send-off to the end of his career because i know it's kind of dwindling down for him but there's got to be other guards too that you know that can be mm-hmm. uh dominant floor generals you know a chris paul like guard where you know you're getting solid minutes and you know you're going to get playmaking that's going to be consistent trade for westbrook <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, that works so well. I, it's that's a mind-boggling contract. If you ever go look up that contract, anyone listening or mm-hmm. to, if you want to be getting paid for doing absolutely nothing, uh, he might be the definition under Google Google for that one. Do you think there's any? I mean, uh, the media loves putting the Knicks and the Lakers in any kind of headline because people, I guess, find it entertaining and will read it. I still don't get that, but Kyrie Irving. And the Nets, they do seem like they're they're gonna part. Is there any way he ends up with either of those two teams that you can see via a sign and trade or however it gets done? I, I couldn't see the LeBron one. I don't think he'd ever want to play back with LeBron. Um, mm-hmm. and I, that'd be a lot for his ego to take a hit. Um, <laughs> and but the, the New York one's interesting. I mean, obviously you're gonna have a rivalry there. Like, hey, right? You know, I didn't like I didn't like you guys. I'm gonna jump over to the bridge. I'm gonna jump over this bridge and you know play with your um, your mortal enemies essentially. But I I can't see it. it. You know, me for me personally, I think he's going maybe to I don't know like a mid market level team. That's yeah. It's not gonna like a Brooklyn's just too big for Kyrie Irving, and that was just foolishness all year long um i realized that some of that's out of his hand but still like he definitely feeds into that yeah the lake i've heard people say well you could trade anthony davis for for Kyrie, and i'm like oh, jesus uh <laughs> problem for a problem for different reasons mm-hmm. but I, I don't know what you do with westbrook then 
because he would just be sitting there and what you just tell him to go home. Like he, cause he, you can't have him LeBron and Kyrie on the same floor. Cause I know that's not going to work because they all want the ball. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You'd almost have to be a Westbrook Anthony Davis combo, but that just sounds, yeah, you're right. That just sounds like two problems coming your way and you're just getting rid of one problem. But that would be like, I think any team that signs him to a max contract is crazy because I don't trust him to buy me, you know, you know, tricks are for kids cereal, right? Let alone show up and play 82 games. I, I COVID or not. I mean, the guy just finds he, he just won't show up sometimes because he's just not in the mood. And that would scare the hell out of me as a, as a business owner. Yeah. He lives on his own time. So. Yes. Uh, I mean, if there's a team that would need a big, big guy right it's now, the Knicks. I mean, they they'll do it because they're stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty pathetic franchise. Yeah. Yeah, if there is a team, it's the Knicks. Or may- I think Sacramento is not that stupid, but maybe I'm giving them too much credit. Uh, but, um, speaking of Sacramento, they pick fourth. That's Thursday yeah. night, the draft. I mean, it just seems like the season's over, and now we got the draft. Who do you, who do you think is going to go one? Who, who, do, who, do, who do you like uh, early up in the draft? Everyone's Everyone's going to be – Everyone's hot on Holmgren, and I, I yeah. think he's a good. I think he's a good player. He's not really project like everywhere I've looked. He's not projected to go number one, but because he's yeah. brought such a presence and he's cocky, which I think people some people like, right? Um, calling himself the future best player in the league, he just scares me a little bit because he, he's just too similar to Brazingas, where right. he's long, he's super skinny, um, but he can shoot. And you're just looking at Porzingis' career and thinking, okay, that's a dumpster fire. But Holmgren's a better defensive player than Porzingis will ever be. I'll give him that to, to credit him. But if I'm going for a more reliable option, I think I do take Jabari Smith. I think that's he's he's going to be a 2010 guy. He's mm-hmm. going to get better every year. I think for the next five years. And if I'm Orlando, I I don't want no more nonsense. Like it, you've got to get your franchise turned around, or it's, at this point, it's just embarrassing. Yeah, I, I think they'll take Jabari. I, I think it'll go Jabari, Chet, and then it'll be Paolo. And oddly yeah. enough, I like Paolo the best. But uh, Chet is so – I like him to OKC. I think it's a really good fit for him because mm-hmm. they do got some good young players there, and he'll have no pressure to win, which is good. Uh, I guess all these top teams, he wouldn't have much pressure to win. Uh, Orlando, nobody will even know he's in the league because nobody watches Orlando. <laughs> but uh, OKC, he can play with SGA. He can play mm. with Dort. You know, they they got some good some good players there. So I think if he goes to OKC and he has a good start to his career, that's the team I look at the three at the top that I think are the closest to being relevant again when it comes right. to winning. They got all those picks. You like to think they could trade for a good player eventually and try to get better. So whoever has that second pick ultimately, I think has a big decision because I think they're closer to being relevant winning again than, than Orlando. Yeah, no, I, I hundred percent agree. Their young guys look really, really good this year. Um, and I, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's an exciting time to be in, um, an OKC fan because I mean, you mm-hmm. haven't had much since obviously, um, KD and yeah. James Harden and, so yeah, th- this this is a trying time. Is there any sneaky picks that you saw? I I really like uh, Shaden Sharp from Kentucky. I think yeah, really impressed with him. And 
in this year's March Madness. And uh, yeah, he's not probably going to go top five, but I think he'll be an effective player wherever he lands. In the he, he'll be, he'll, yeah, he'll go high for sure. Um, there's a player from Baylor and <laughs> the hair guy. What's that? The, hair, the guy with the hair? The hair, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he is a pain in the ass, like, times 100. Okay. He's like a gnat. And he's going to go in the first round. And I don't know what he's going to be as a – like, how you project him. But he might be another Draymond Green type where he's just a pain – he pisses you off and he'll get assists. He'll get a few points, but I, I like him a lot. If I'm looking at pure talent – Jaden Ivy intrigues me. He might go as high as four. He might drop some because he did say last week he's not super intrigued on playing in Sacramento, but who is? Uh, he, uh, Welcome to the club, yeah. At, at Purdue, he's a great shooter. He's not afraid to shoot, which is a big thing coming out of college, but he's a guy that um, they had a good team there. They, they had a good season this year, and he he's a guy that could run an offense uh, down the line. So I, I like I like Jaden Ivy from from Purdue. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm loving, like, I don't know why, but anytime I see a guy that's played in the G league and he's up high, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's intriguing because like, obviously he's got experience playing against grown men and, uh, right. a more, I'd say a more relevant, uh, a more relevant game to the NBA than it is from right. the uh, NCAA. Right. Yeah. And there's also that Matherin. He's from, he's a Canadian kid. So he's another, Canada's got a lot of players coming in the draft playing basketball. You look at Lou Dort, SGA there. You got Matherin that's coming out. Andrew Wiggins just won a title. So Canada's starting to get a footprint. Obviously, you got Jamal Murray uh, in in the NBA. And if we never qualify for the Olympics, I don't think we'll be a slouch team. And say say we give us another decade, I think we will be a, a, a top team because we, we're, we're just producing a lot of great talent in, in the NBA right now. Yeah, 100% agree. Got to develop those guys, and uh, hopefully one day it'll pay off. It's a long drought. Yeah, it's 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 been a minute. We got <laughs> Canada got to the World Cup in soccer, so we can get to the Olympics in basketball. I I have faith that we will eventually eventually get there. What's Kelly Olynyk going to do when he's not making Team Canada anymore and just? Yeah, I think that's when he knows it's time to retire. Like yeah, he might just okay. he might become a co-coach because he's there so often. <laughs> him and him and Jay Triano can coach together, just bond over experiences. But yeah, old old Kelly Olenek always shows up. You gotta love that about him. He's always he's always there, first in line for for the layups. But what'd you make of the uh, of the game last night, Avs and Ning? Oh, man, it's, uh, I thought I was reminiscing over a Rangers matchup that happened not too long ago where Rangers fans got pretty excited thinking, oh, we're, we just snapped the we snapped the curse. You know, we beat them back to back games. And what happens? You go out and lay an egg. And if you're Colorado, you got to think, OK, we got to shut this down right away. But Tampa played like they like they knew they had to. You know, that was experience. You know, uh, the, that game, too, was a, a write-off, obviously. I mean, you're done basically halfway through the second period. And, um, yeah, they slowed the game down, which was appropriate. And then, you know, Sorelli scores that huge goal in the rush, and it's not mm-hmm. about how you how it looks. It's just about basically getting it done, and I thought that's what the, that goal was about. But, yeah, some sloppy play from Colorado. You look at the Nick Paul goal. I mean, that was bad play behind the net. Pops mm-hmm. out in front, and he tucks it in. 
And yeah, I, I just thought Colorado was one step slower than, than they normally are last night. Yeah, I, I agree. And Tampa just had an easier time getting through the neutral zone than they did the first, like they, they had no time in the first two games. Mm-hmm. And, but again, Stamkos, Kucherov, Palat, they're so important to that team because with point being out, they're limited offensively. You know, Perun got a, Maroon got a goal last night in Perry, but you, you can't expect them to score a goal in the next couple of games. I think if they're going to win this series, it's going to be because of the back end and that top line to score goals because Sorelli has such a tough, he's stopping McKinnon. Like that's, that's a tough job. He to stop Zabinijad. Like that's not mm-hmm. an easy task. And on the other hand, McKinnon, show up, buddy, because this is – you said you wanted to get here. I think he's been average the first three games, and I'm being nice. But I, I think game four is vital for, for – you mentioned it for Colorado. They need – it's almost a must win for both teams. Because I think Colorado needs to win game four because if it's game five, there's going to be a lot of guys in that building that have tight-ass cheeks when they're, when they're in Colorado – and the, you won't hear the crowd singing all the small things. I'll say that. You'll say, what's my age again? And you know, where's the door uh, for game five? I, I love the level up song. with, uh, with on the, After they kill a penalty, they get the Mario level up song. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, I love since they started that up. But no, yeah, I abs- absolutely agree with that. Um, You've you got to treat it as like we it's a do or die situation. Colorado's never been on their heels, which – I mean that's that's good for them, but mm-hmm. a little pressure is also going to mend you and make you make you a little bit better also. So, yeah, I mean McKinnon's got to play better. Landeskog has played really well. Miko Rantanen's played really well. You know you've got your big you have your big four. You know mm-hmm. you're the only guy who's not been in consistently putting it in. And I, I don't think he's had a goal yet. I could be wrong on that. I don't think he's got Vasilevsky. Um, but yeah, you, you've you've got to you've got to pump it in and get. Um, get at least one, and you know, coming out hot in the next game, I think is going to be important. That I, I do feel the new the new the new goal that was called back last night was definitely uh, a move changer. Like they would have, I think they would have been yeah. up two one, and then uh, Tampa scores late in the first. So yeah, it's 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 interesting, but I mean, you got to play with the high highs and lows as well, right? Yeah, you got to love that offside rule. I'll tell you that, uh, <laughs> you got to love the challenge because. I love it. I love that it takes 10 minutes, but that was... it's yeah, it's hard to watch. It's like, okay, like I can see the white come on on the other side. Like it should be clear cut, you know, that, that this was offside, but did you, or did you feel the other way? Did you think it was onside? No, I, th- I thought it was offside from the second I saw it. And I was just thinking, why is this taking 10 minutes? Like yeah. why I, I, I flicked the station. I'm like, okay, I'm not sitting here. What? Listening to, watch them look at this little screen 85 times. I, I, I just can't, can't do it anymore. So I decided to, to change the channel. Um, so, yeah, I thought today we could talk about our top athletes of 2022 so far because we're about halfway through the year and there's been a lot of guys that have had some some really good, really good years so far. And I thought, you know, I didn't know, I didn't give you a kind of a, Number, I just said, name the guys that you want to go through. So how, how many guys did you come up with? Oh, I only have four. Um, yeah, I got three, so we're good. Yeah, oh, okay. I just, okay. Yeah. One will be a toss away for me then. Um, I I picked them all from different sports. I don't know Same. if you had – Okay, yep. yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I can I can throw my first one out there because because yeah, kick us off. So I, I had Roman Yossi as my four. Okay. Um, you know, 50 games in 2022, 67 points, uh, average 26 minutes a night. He was a beast. I mean, he's Mikhail McCarr was walking up the stage to grab his Norris trophy and Roman Yossi met him on the way up and said, yeah, I'll take that. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's impressive. Like I, in my opinion, he, he could have even been, he could have been up there for the heart. He played that well at the end of the year. Uh, that point streak was amazing. And, you know, he, he wielded a team that it, I don't want to call them average. I think they have good potential, but for the most part, they weren't, they weren't doing anything too special to a playoff spot. And uh, yeah, lot, like a lot of credit to him. He's, he's got to mm-hmm. be up there. He's my fourth guy, I guess, out of my, out of them. Out of the bunch. He's a special player. He kind of had a Taylor Hall type year when he was with New Jersey where Turned I don't off, think yeah. they, they, he, he carried that team for a long period of time where that team is not that great. And, and he, he was just otherworldly and he was their top player, but just, you know, being a defenseman, putting up those type of points. So no, I agree. He's a special player and, and he's doing great things in Nashville. Um, You can name your next guy if you want. Okay. I have a, I have Cole's favorite golfer, Scotty Scheffler. He's, so he's, do I. He's, my, he's my number three. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, um, not much to say. I'll, I'll bring off the stats and you can ring off the intangibles here. This guy yeah. second in the U S open, uh, won the masters. He got cut from the PGA, but he's got two wins already this year. And second, he's got four second places. I mean, he's just rattling it off and he's a 25 year old like kid he's like he's my age our age and he's been yep. just dominating uh, a man sport um which we i think he uh, looks about a decade older than us though he's 35 yeah he's 35 <laughs> in the face but he's 25 <laughs> at heart i don't yeah. i don't understand it but yeah I, I don't know maybe all that pressure that you have being yeah nasty in the, on the on the greens but yeah what makes him so special dougie i mean you watch him more than i do yeah he He's just his heart. Not much. He's not good at. Like he, he can drive the ball far. He's got good iron play. He's a great putter. That's the one the best thing I can say about him is his putting. He's just a lethal, lethal. I mean, you watched him Sunday. He was minus four in the first nine, and I'm just like Jesus. He's making this course look like you know chicken feed. Mm-hmm. And he ran into a few tough holes, and he was up, like you said, a shot off, and so close to it even going into a playoff. He missed that putt by a little bit, as did your boy Billy Zaltz. Hmm. and it, it was close, but he's a great putter. He's proven he can win in the clutch situations. You know, winning a Masters only playing there for his third time, which is rare. Normally take a, a number of visits to win there. He is the number one player in the world. He's passed John Rahm. He's passed Morikawa to get that distinction. So it's hard to – I think he's already won the PGA Tour Player of the Year. we still got a long way to go, but I have a hard time believing somebody else is going to surpass him uh, in winning it. So yeah, he's he's taken over the golf world as the as the best player. That's the thing. We have so much. The season's not over, and we we do have quite a ways to go. But it's already felt like it's in like his yeah. name's engraved in that title, which is strange because uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's great. Golf's at a great spot. Um, mm-hmm. That last last weekend was really really fun. Watched the you know watched a potential almost potential playoff. Uh, Big Zal, he hit a couple putts during the day, but when it comes yeah. down to it, he didn't hit the biggest one. So. You know, he's he's 25, Scheffler's 25, and Fitzpatrick, who won, is 27. So that's a yeah. that's a good place where golf wants to be is some young, competitive guys who are 
kind of kind of bringing out the best in each other. Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I had Scheffler as well. So we're we're, oh, told, yeah. we're right there. So who who uh, who do you have next? Um, on, on my next, so I have Luka Doncic. Ooh, um, I like your it. boy, the Matador. Yeah, he's uh, he had a great second. Uh, I wouldn't say second half, but he had a great 2022. 30 points, nine assists, eight rebounds. I mean, sorry, 10 rebounds. Uh, and he was just a beast. I mean, he wielded a team that was, on my opinion, average, who I thought without him would be, they'd be a lottery team, in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, he was really good. And on top of that, he gets into a conference final, which they haven't been since 2011. So almost a decade ago, he's so special. I've called it on this podcast before. He's going to win an MVP sooner or later. Um, Dallas just needs to get them another, I'd say another big guy to play with. And, uh, they're mm-hmm. going to be a competitive team for, for years to come. He's special. Like, I don't know if he's LeBron 2.0 or he's Larry bird 2.0. He's got, he's, he's awesome to watch and he's just, he's like a pit bull. And if he can come, if he can come into camp in shape next year, he might win <laughs> the MVP because we can start the year hot and, you know, he gets better as the season goes on. So that might help him, but he, I, I totally agree. He's going to win an MVP before it's all over. I think he'll be an NBA champion before his career is over as well. I, yeah, I didn't think of Doncic, but he was spectacular. I had, I had Rafael Nadal. Okay. And Rafa has lost three times in 2022. <laughs> That's it. He's won 40, 43 matches. He's 43 and three on the season. He's won the first two majors of the year. He's now two up on Federer and on Djokovic for the most majors of all time. And he beat Djokovic to win his 14th French Open title, which is unheard of. I think he that I don't think that'll ever be broken. I don't think anybody's been more dominant on one surface just on any sport than Nadal is on clay. Like that's just crazy what what he does. But he's to me, he's jumped into the the GOAT conversation. I think he is the GOAT of tennis. Djokovic might finish with more, but Nadal is – he's not everybody's cup of tea, but neither am I. So I feel like I have to jump on that board with him and just he, – he's, he's had a phenomenal year. He's 35 years old. Too. He's not a spring chicken when it comes – or 36 when it, comes to, when it comes to tennis, and he continues to play like he's 21. Yeah, I'd like to scratch my my last pick and maybe maybe replace. I didn't realize he was forty. I didn't know forty four wins was uh, was the old number this year. That's pretty impressive. But yeah, I mean, still dominating the sport at that age. That's mm-hmm. just just wild. Um, yeah, and it, like you said about the French Open, that's that's nuts. Fourteen. That I, I I think we could put a future on that for the old grandbabies or my grandbabies at least. And yeah. that'll never be broken. Um, that's no, yeah, that's, no, that's, no. no one's going to even, I don't think, I don't think anyone would hit 10 to be honest. I don't think but, so either. No, yeah. I, I don't even know if anybody will come within half of it. Yeah, if somebody would get just so rare. Yeah. yeah. It's, it t- it's so hard to win. It's like, it's like the majors with tiger and Jack, like you're looking at, you're like, can I get like Kepka's got three and I don't, I'm not sure he's going to win another one. Like that, you know, it's, it's so, mm. it's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so rare. Yeah, that makes my my last one kind of look bad. I was gonna really pump this guy's <laughs> tires, but uh, I don't know if he looks as good anymore. And I'm eager to see who you have for number one. But okay. uh, 
you were ripping on them a little bit when I entered the pod, so I got to be a little wary here. But okay, it's their ace for the Tampa Bay Rays, Shane McClanahan. Oh, I like that, that. Right? Yeah, he's um, playing well. Yeah, if, even if his team is not doing the greatest at times, he still plays individually well, which is great. Um, 14 games this year, 1.81 ERA. He's got seven wins, three losses. He's only walked 16 guys all year, which my, whenever I see that stat, it's just wild to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's leads, leads the league in strikeouts with 113 with a, a whip of 0.85 walks, walks per hit. Inning pitched, yeah. Walk for hitting pitched, yeah. He's he's just had this wild year, and you know, he, I I, w- I want to say that I knew who he was before the beginning of the year, but I, I didn't. Uh, like I I knew, I've mm-hmm. maybe seen his name a couple times on the scorecard, but for the most part, he's just uh, astonishing this year, and he's probably not in the Cy Young even race at this point. I think there's a couple other guys, but I think he'll assert himself there. He's young. He's only 24, 25 years old, mm-hmm. but he's certainly a special player and. Kudos to Tampa for being. They just, you know, they, they find. They talent. just hit. They just hit on all their picks, and you know they develop guys properly. And it seems to be the way when you have a low budget like that, you just kind of you pick up the weeds and you really keep the keep the guys you know are going to be special. He's great. He's practically unhittable. Like he's yeah. he's got such a curveball that's so hard to hit. And I mean, he only gave up a few hits to the Yankees last. He had a good, another good start last night. They just couldn't get any runs to help him. Mm. But yeah, they, they're, he's a special pitcher. I, I like that one because he's, he's a guy that, you know, McClanahan could be in that mix. Man, Manoa has had a really coming out party for the Jays. Absolutely. Uh, Tony Gonsolin's been great for your Dodgers. He doesn't have a loss yet this year. He's yeah, eight. Mons Grove is good too. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's a lot of good, pitchers that are having some some spectacular years that you wouldn't expect exactly they're not kershaw they're not guys that are household names my last one is he's a great player and i do i do have a love for him it's aaron donald of the los angeles rams and twofold number one he won a super bowl he made the play on the last – he made the biggest play. Last play of the game, he broke up the pass on the fourth down to prevent a field goal to tie the game from Joey Big Stick. So he made that play. Then season's over, parties at the parade, having a good time. He's living his best life, as the young kids say. And then he gets the most guaranteed money in the history of the NFL for a defensive player. So he wins the Super Bowl three-time, you know, it's a great year. And then he gets the bag. So you win, and then you get paid. I, to me, Aaron Donald's having a pretty damn good 2022 so far. And he won the Super Bowl in February, gets paid in June, and he's on a team that could win a Super win the Super Bowl again next year. So pretty good 2022 for Aaron Donald. Oddly enough, I if I had a five, I was going to pick uh, your boy Burrow. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. He he yeah, did. I would have picked Joey Burr. I think uh, he had a great 2022 as well. I mean that run, obviously, but yeah, uh, he also started to light it up at the end of the year. So, but yeah, no, I, Aaron Donald's well deserved. That's uh that was an incredible run. Just funny that uh, that you were on the opposite end of that. So yeah, there's some guys there. You know, crybaby OBJ. It's good for him. Is he <laughs> is he coming back or is he done this year? I think. He obviously got the torn ACL, so he's going to be out to at least October, November. I think he resigns with the Rams when he's back. Okay. okay. That's That'd my prediction anyway, but I think he'll be a Ram again. Yeah. 
Definitely not Cleveland. He won't be a Brown again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it's gonna be an interesting year. It's it's gonna be a roller coaster for us Browns fans. I think we're just gonna be holding on for for dear life, to be honest. Yeah, because Deshaun settled twenty four of the twenty four lawsuits today, but it's four of them are still going to court. So it doesn't. <laughs> I read it and I think people are like, okay, so they're all settled. He's gonna be able to play. I'm like, ah, uh, not quite. No, not not that. That's not that's not how it works. Still got four. And, and- yeah. What and what happens if he's found if he's found guilty? I mean, he's probably gonna pay some hefty fines and do some damage. But will the league suspend him for eight yeah. games or seven games or something? I think he'll be suspended for the whole year. That's if, my he, if regardless, or if he found guilty, regardless, yeah, because say he doesn't go to court, and they schedule to go to court in a couple of months, it's hard to play. It's hard to play a guy that could be you know found guilty. They've had enough of these situations with. You know, obviously, Orenthal James and with uh, Ray Rice, and they've screwed up enough of these. I mean, there's too many of these to even count, but they screwed up enough of them. So I think they're going to be, they'll go heavier than lighter when it comes to suspension. Okay. That's interesting. But yeah, uh, Deshaun and Baker doesn't want to play there. So, <laughs> well, how, how could you, though? Like, hey, we, we, we told you we were going to come back. And uh, oh, yeah, by the way, we're bringing in some something, a brand new toy that's going to take your spot. Like, I understand the frustration from him. But I'd rather play for the Browns than play for Carolina. You have a better chance to win, better chance to showcase yourself. Yeah, no, he's salty. He can do he can do commercials in Carolina. There's some good, some nice sun down there. I heard. Yeah, no progressive though, or 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 regressive. Maybe that's what he should be. Uh, he should be promoting his plays often. He could more. take. He, well, he could take a gamble on himself, and if what what if he starts to shine down there? I mean, that's another route too. He might, sure. yeah, no, that that could happen. Where he just lights it up and he gets to pick his next location. That would be best case scenario, obviously for for Baker Mayfield Jr. the third. Um, <laughs> Memorial Cup. We're going yeah. Thursday. You yeah, uh you're the big shooter with the tickets, and you were nice enough to to ask me. Yeah, no, I mean, I thought who would enjoy this more than uh, my good friend? And I mean, we talked about it a couple weekends ago when, mm. when we were together, anyway. So I, I wanted to make it happen. Unfortunately, I could get to watch St. John play, but uh, yeah, I mean, happy they won last night. That's 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 a good. I mean, you do most, you know more than me about these teams. I know to me on paper, Edmonton's the best team. Yeah, um, they are they're a powerhouse, but the, I don't feel like in this tournament sometimes the powerhouses always win. So. Who's who in your case is your your favorite for this? I mean, yeah, I have Edmonton winning, uh, but I, I had Hamilton, Edmonton in the final. That was my thought before, and H- Hamilton was just that that game was horrible last night. But I they they were out to lunch. I don't know what happened before if they all had shellfish sandwiches or what, but the they fog. the fog got to them. They got the fog. That could be it. It could be the fog. <laughs> whenever I roll through, I never feel the same. Uh, but they McTavish was horrible. Every, that whole team, just the mistakes. But like you said, kudos to St. John. Uh, you're having played in a month and a half and you just beat the best team in Ontario. That's all you care. You got to hope you're better. They play Wednesday against, uh, at Edmonton. They got Edmonton. So yeah. you're up for that because they, they, <laughs> they obviously be on a back to back, but, uh, that that's your toughest opponent. But 
We get to see Schwinnigan and Hamilton, so we'll get to see McTavish up close and personal. We'll get to see Maverick Bork, a player I love from Schwinnigan. Yes, so Xavier Bogren. Yeah, should should be a fun game uh, on Thursday night. Yeah, looking forward to coming down. It's it only took a Mem Cup for you to finally visit, but uh, that's that's fine. <laughs> no, I, you you've been here you've been here before, I know, but um, yeah, no, look, looking forward to it. I think it's exciting, and the the vibe in the city has been really good. We were out Saturday night. Um, and they had a lot going on. So really glad that the, the, the city put, you know, money into it and really went good. all out with this because they needed this. That's good. Yeah. With COVID and everything and to get New Brunswick with this and then the, the world juniors in a couple of months, mm. I, think, I think it's awesome for, for, for tourists and for money coming into New Brunswick. That's, that's what we need right now. And absolutely, you know, that that's awesome. But What's what's on the docket uh, tonight? Watching anything? Watching a movie? Show? Anything? Yeah, I got I got a little bit of uh, schoolwork to do, but other than that, um, what am I into right now? I got, I got well, you know me. I have fifty shows on the go, and I'm probably not going to finish all of them tonight. So right, maybe right. tuck away at one or two. Jeez, um, I don't know. Yeah, give me give me something to watch right now. It can be movie or show, and I'll okay. I'll, I'll so coin toss. Okay, I won't get to let you start a new show because I know you, you watch too many of them. But if you pick a movie, I okay. watched Hustle over the weekend. Yeah, for good things. Adam Sandler's movie on Netflix. It's real. It's actually very good. It's actually okay. very good. I enjoyed it. The NBA players are surprisingly, especially Anthony Edwards. No surprise, he's just fantastic at everything. But he was he's great in the movie. He's like a okay. villain, and he plays it extremely well. But I, I like the movie a lot. I, I would recommend. I would say watch it. I would recommend it uh, that you, that people people watch Hustle because it it was good. I finished Ozark over the weekend as well. Uh, I finished Barry over the weekend. Like I got some shows watched this past weekend. Yeah, I guess when sports starts to wind down, you're just you're just killing all the rest of your shows. Um, yeah. Were you happy with the Ozark ending, or was it? No, I was happy with it. Yeah, okay, I was asking. As someone who hasn't finished it yet, I'm glad to hear that. No, uh, we'll talk about it when you finish it. But I, I thought it was a great story ending. And what, what I mean by that is how the show starts. You're not, I think when you write a good TV show, you're not writing for, and it's going to sound bad, but you're not writing for the audience. You're writing for the great story and how you close it from where you start to where you get to the end of it. And I think they did a good job of doing that. Okay. Okay. I'm looking forward to that. And I will check out Hustle. You're not the only person to tell me that's been a, a really good thing. Anytime you see Adam Sandler and Netflix in the same uh, in the same sentence, it always gets a little risky. But I'm glad they yeah. they pulled this one off. Yeah. He, Rod Tomatoes has even loved it. I think he's got like a 93. Hustle's okay. got right now. It's his highest ever. So good for him. Nice. Nice. I, I'll, I'll be checking it out. No, I'll get your schoolwork done and block off a couple hours for hustle tonight and throw that. Yes, on. I will. And I look forward to seeing you on Thursday, my friend. Yes, we'll see it. We'll see it uh, Thursday night. Okay. See you, Lottie. Right. Take care. There's Seamus. Always fun to have Seamus on on Tuesdays. And yeah, we joining him on Thursday night to watch the Memorial Cup, heading up to St. John for that. We got game four, Stanley Cup final tomorrow night. So we're going to preview that. We'll talk about the Memorial Cup. We got Shawinigan versus Edmonton tonight. We'll talk some baseball and any other storylines across the sports world tomorrow. 
So we'll see you then. Take care. This is to the point.